up, you beautiful bastards? Hope you've had a fantastic Tuesday. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Buckle up, hit that like button, and let's just jump into it. And the first thing we're gonna talk about today is the chaos and general ridiculousness that we're seeing around this viral video involving doctors and hydroxychloroquine that trended on Facebook and Twitter yesterday. Right, so in that video, we see a group of what appear to be physicians standing outside of the Supreme Court steps in Washington, D.C. Reportedly, they refer to themselves as America's frontline doctors. They were part of a conference that started yesterday, goes through today. It's also believed by some that this group was kind of formed specifically for this for a number of reasons, including their website actually appears to have only existed for about 12 days now. In fact, as of this morning, to make it even more confusing, if you try to go to their website, it now says that it's expired. And we'll jump a little bit more into the, the group, who's a part of it, stuff like that in a second. You know, in this video that's circulated, we see a doctor making a number of claims that seem very contrary to what we've heard from a just large majority of other doctors. For example, we see the likes of Dr. Stella Emanuel saying things like, And we treat them and they leave. None has died. So if some fake science, some person sponsored by all these fake pharma companies comes out and say, oh, we've done studies and they found out that it doesn't work, I can tell you categorically it's fake science. I want to know who is sponsoring that study. I want to know who is behind it. Because there is no way I can treat 350 patients and counting and nobody is dead and they all did better. And then you're going to tell me that you treated 20 people, 40 people and, and it didn't work. I'm a true testimony. So I came here to Washington, D.C., to tell America, nobody needs to get sick. This virus has a cure. It is called hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and zitromax. Okay, so there are a few things that we're gonna try and break down here, and then we are going to talk about Dr. Stella Emanuel herself. So. Hydroxychloroquine, it is a drug that we've talked about a number of times on this show. It is a drug that President Trump has repeatedly touted despite there being major concerns around it. You know, one of the first things to know about it is that hydroxychloroquine is approved by the Food and Drug Administration, but mainly only for use in malaria patients as well as patients with lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. However, you also had several small studies early on in the pandemic indicating that maybe hydroxychloroquine could be used to effectively treat COVID patients. So you had Trump beginning to tout this drug as a game changer. Then in late March, we saw the FDA even give emergency approval to the Trump administration to distribute millions of hydroxychloroquine pills to hospitals. This in an attempt to treat and help COVID patients, right? You had the FDA also saying that the benefit for trying this still unproven drug outweighed the risks. But on the note of risk, we should talk about in April, we saw the FDA then issuing a warning for hydroxychloroquine saying that it should only be used in hospital settings or clinical trials. This because studies have shown it to cause heart arrhythmias. In fact, in one study looking at veteran affairs patients who had contracted COVID-19, it was even linked to higher rates of death. And ultimately in June, we saw the FDA rescind its emergency approval saying that hydroxychloroquine is unlikely to be effective. Even going as far to flip their original statement saying any potential benefits are outweighed by safety risks. With the FDA also citing 400 reports of adverse events, including 109 serious cardiac episodes, of which 25 resulted in death. Though to be clear here, the FDA said for most cases, the patient was also taking other drugs that also raised risks of heart problems. Also some of the other things we've seen, earlier this month, we saw a medical journal, the, the Annals of Internal Medicine, reporting that hydroxychloroquine as an early treatment for COVID-19 did not work better than a placebo at reducing the severity of a patient's symptoms over 14 days. Right, so that's just the hydroxychloroquine part. And what's important to note is it's not the only statement that the doctor made that is at odds with the broader medical community. And I mean, much broader, overwhelming majority. For example, she also said, I know you people want to talk about mask. Hello, you don't need mask. There is a cure. I know they don't want to open schools. No, you don't need to, people to be locked down. There is prevention and there is a cure. Right, so she says, you don't need masks, even though the current CDC guidance states, quote, Cloth face coverings may help prevent people who have COVID-19 from spreading the virus to others. Wearing a cloth face covering will help protect people around you, including those at higher risk of severe illness from COVID-19 and workers who frequently come into close contact with other people. Right, and finally, you have this doctor, once again, talking about a cure, suggesting that hydroxychloroquine is the cure. But to be clear, 
hydroxychloroquine is not currently considered to be a cure or, like we even said, even effective by the broader medical community. Now, with all that said, something that is important when you're getting new information is to look at who the messenger is. This is important when you hear any information, but most importantly, when you hear information you want to hear. So like I said, that is Dr. Stella Emanuel. She is a general practitioner from Houston. Reportedly, she received her medical degree in Nigeria. In addition to being a doctor, she is a religious minister who reportedly operates a medical clinic out of a strip mall next to her church. And looking at this person's track record, there are some uh, interesting claims they have made. Things like Dr. Stella Emanuel claiming that gynecological problems like cysts and endometriosis are caused by people having sex in their dreams with demons and witches. Also in one of her sermons claiming that scientists had plans to install microchips into people and develop a vaccine to make it impossible to become religious. Also saying there are people that are ruling this nation that are not even human. Then describing a conversation she had with a reptilian spirit that she said was half human, half ET. Also Manuel most recently tweeting out a video where she demanded that CNN anchor Chris Cuomo and Anthony Fauci give her jars of their urine. This so she can test if they're secretly taking hydroxychloroquine even as they caution against its use. Also tweeting out the very normal statement from a doctor. I double dog dare y'all to give me a urine sample. So, you know, I, I guess the main thing I'm trying to get by, by talking about all of that is just because you see someone in a, in a white coat, you, maybe you don't automatically trust their, their uh, medical advice. No offense to, to Johnny Sin's intended. Now, part of the reason we're even having to cover this story today is just how far reaching this video has become. I mean, just on Facebook alone, reportedly the original video racked up more than 13 million views yesterday. With Facebook then actually stepping in and trying to remove the video of Emmanuel from the site. This because they said it shared false information about cures and treatments for COVID-19. Also, after that, we saw a Facebook spokesperson reiterating the platform's COVID misinformation policy saying, we're showing messages in newsfeed to people who have reacted to, commented on, or shared harmful COVID-19 related misinformation that we have removed, connecting them to myths debunked by the World Health Organization. From there, we also saw YouTube working to delete the video from the site. This morning, we also saw Twitter taking down the video, but not before President Trump had already retweeted it on his personal account. That tweet also calling Emmanuel a fearless warrior of truth. But if you look at that tweet now, it shows that that clip of her is unavailable. Trump's account, it and another tweet have also been removed altogether. And actually we also saw on Donald Trump Jr.'s Twitter account that he uploaded the video, right? So he wasn't he wasn't linking it from someone else. So because of that, we saw Twitter restrict his ability to tweet for 12 hours. So there was that. And as far as Emmanuel's response to all of this, hello, Facebook, put back my profile page and videos up or your computers will start crashing till you do. You are not bigger that God, I promise you. My page is not back up. Facebook will be down in Jesus name. And that is ultimately the story as it is now. I'm, I'm a little bit at a loss for words. I've seen some people trying to defend the doctor saying that she's being persecuted for her religious beliefs, but what? Are you saying that her claims that the government is run in part by reptilians and other aliens, that scientists want to install microchips in people and develop a vaccine to make it impossible for people to become religious, that sex with demons, it causes gynecological problems. That's attacking her because of her religion? I, I, I was raised Catholic, maybe I missed that part in the Bible. I don't know what to say with this story other than don't be stupid, stupid. Just because someone in a lab coat said something that you were just really wanting doctors to say, Consider the source. I would love if what Stella was saying about hydroxychloroquine seemed to be true, but once again, as Dr. Fauci had to reiterate this morning. The overwhelming prevailing clinical trials that have looked at the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine have indicated that it is not effective in coronavirus disease. And call me crazy here, but I'm gonna go with Fauci and the numerous studies that have shown that it is just not effective. But yeah, that's where this story ends. I know that I'm gonna get a, a swarm of outside hate for this one. When ridiculousness gets to a certain point, you have to call it out. Okay, moving on. And then let's talk about why Ellen and the Ellen DeGeneres show are in the news. You know, there have been rumors for a while, some out here that uh, people 
talk to say that it's kind of an open secret that, that Ellen is cold and not a great person to the people that she works with. These allegations also getting a massive spotlight on them after that viral Twitter thread back in March, which asked for people's Ellen horror stories. But the news today isn't just about Ellen, but it's about her show. Because yesterday we learned that the Ellen show was under investigation by Warner Media for accusations of a toxic workplace. And as a part of this investigation, reportedly a third party will be interviewing current and former staffers about their work experience. Now, it will be interesting to see what this investigation uncovers because all of this that's happening, it's happening likely because and after a few reports came out that had hefty allegations against people who are working on the show. In many cases, allegations are about producers and in others saying Ellen herself was directly to blame for the hostile workplace. Earlier this month, you had a BuzzFeed news report alleging that workers faced intimidation tactics and racism while on set. With examples like a former black employee saying that a senior level producer told her and another black employee, oh wow, you both have box braids. I hope we don't get you confused. A main writer also telling her, I'm sorry, I only know the names of the white people who work here. Also saying in another case, she asked for a raise after finding out that a new hire who had been doing the same job she had been doing was getting paid twice as much. Claiming that after that, she was called into a meeting with a producer who reprimanded her for asking for a raise and for bringing up issues of representation, with her then leaving that meeting and just never returning to the show. In other cases, you had employees alleging that they had to struggle to get necessary time off. One employee giving an example saying they had to ask for time off after getting into a car accident and having two family deaths in a year, saying each request resulted in a battle with supervisors and HR. In another case, you had employees saying they took a month of medical leave to go into a mental health facility after a suicide attempt, but when they returned to work, they learned that the position was being eliminated. And once again, these are just a few of the allegations. Now, with that, executive producers Ed Glavin, Mary Connolly, and Andy Lassner released a statement saying, we have strived to create an open, safe, and inclusive work environment. We are truly heartbroken and sorry to learn that even one person in our production family has had a negative experience. It's not who we are and not who we strive to be and not the mission Ellen has set for us. And adding, for the record, the day-to-day -day responsibility of the Ellen Show is completely on us. We take all of this very seriously and we realize as many in the world are learning that we need to do better, are committed to do better, and we will do better. But you also have people saying it is these three producers directly that are responsible for the issues on set. With one person saying, people focus on rumors about how Ellen is mean and everything like that, but that's not the problem. The issue is these three executive producers running the show who are in charge of all these people and who make the culture and are putting out this feeling of bullying and being mean. Though, a counterpoint there, you did have one former employee saying it should fall on Ellen, saying if she wants to have her own show and have her name on the show title. She needs to be more involved to see what's going on. Also, there's the issue that before this, in April, you had a variety reporting that staff of the show were upset because of poor communication regarding pay and the schedules during the start of the coronavirus lockdowns. But according to that report, apparently crew had received no written communication about the status of their working hours, pay, or inquiries about their mental and physical health from producers for over a month. They were then even more frustrated because the show hired an outside crew to help Ellen film remotely from her home, which ultimately led to the crew learning that they would be getting a 60% pay cut even though the show was still airing. But all of that said, that is where we are there. It'll be interesting to see what comes from this investigation, also what gets out from this investigation. And then let's talk about a story that is ultimately about if tens of millions of Americans are gonna be able to put food on their table, stay in their homes. All right, so obviously I'm talking about the coronavirus stimulus bill. So. Yesterday, what we saw is Senate Republicans finally rolling out the $1 trillion HEALS Act, which is their version of the next coronavirus relief package. And I say finally, because as we talked about last week, this proposal comes after weeks of infighting between Senate Republicans as well as the White House over what to put in this bill. There's also been a lot of buildup to get to this point because it comes nearly five months after the first stimulus bill, the CARES Act, was signed into law. And while yes, we also saw the House of Representatives passing their own version of another stimulus bill in mid-May, Senate Republicans wanted to wait to pass more coronavirus relief legislation. This largely because in general, they are 
argued that another one wasn't needed yet and that the reopenings would help the economy. But obviously, things have not panned out the way they wanted given that we're seeing massive spikes in certain parts of the country as a result of the openings, which have also led to renewed closures and restrictions. And so now, with many Americans already hurting and even more starting to feel this hurt again, Senate Republicans are down to the wire to pass another relief bill as key parts of the CARES Act are set to expire, and some actually already have. And here's the thing, as we mentioned last time, even though internally they have now hashed things out, they now still have to negotiate a bill with Senate Democrats that could viably be passed by the Democrat-controlled House. And already we're seeing some major differences between the Republicans' proposal and what the Democrats want. And that's on top of the internal divisions among Senate Republicans, which could complicate negotiations and we're gonna hit on in a bit. Now, in this bill, we can't talk about every single thing in it without just literally reading the whole bill verbatim. So what I'm gonna do here is focus on some of the major provisions in this proposal that are most likely to impact you or someone you know. We'll then compare those parts to what Senate Democrats have said they want as well as what is in the House bill, which notably the Senate Dems have not taken up in whole, though they have embraced many parts of it. And so looking at what the House agreed to will also give us a better idea of what the Democrats are thinking. And then we'll talk about what might happen moving forward and what all of this means for the American people. And right, so at the very top, you have money in general. The Republican Heals Act proposes a one trillion dollar stimulus, which is half of what the original relief bill was. Meanwhile, on the other side of this, the package that the House passed in May was for three trillion dollars. Right now you have Republicans proposing about a third of what the Democrats are. And while I think it is true that Republicans are lowballing because they expect Democrats to negotiate up, it is very possible that this overall price tag could be a major point of contention among Democrats who want to put more money into the package. Not only because they say they want more money to be put into the economy and the American people, but also because they've been waiting for that for nearly three months now. Especially because Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said that this will likely be the last major legislative response to the pandemic. Right, so the argument being, okay, so if you have the majority in the Senate and you're saying that this is the last swing, let's make it a big one, right? So there's that. Also, one of the biggest things that we can talk about is Democrats focusing on federal unemployment benefits. Under that first stimulus bill months ago, all Americans who filed for unemployment were supposed to get an additional $600 each week from the federal government. Notably, that was on top of the money that they were receiving from state unemployment, which was seen as incredibly important because normal unemployment in most states covers less than half of what a worker would normally make on the job. And one of the main reasons that this is such a hot button issue is because those federal benefits are set to expire in less than a week. And while Democrats want to extend that $600, Republicans have pointed out that some people are making more on unemployment than they would at their jobs. With one of the arguments being thrown out there is you have places like restaurants that are trying to get their employees back, but some saying it's hard to get those people back because they're actually making more than they would if they worked at the job. And so what we're seeing Republicans say is that they want to keep the federal benefits, but cut them significantly. And so under the current version of the Republican Heals Act, the federal government would provide $200 a week for each unemployed worker until October. And in that time, states would be required to switch over to the new system where unemployed workers would get 70% of the wages they made before. Also, if states cannot implement this totally new system by October 5th, they can request a waiver to continue the $200 for another two months. And while that would give states more time, numerous experts have warned that states are already overwhelmed with unemployment requests and were already having trouble paying out that flat 600. So there is a belief that these states would really struggle with a major overhaul of their current system that also requires them to implement a difficult and very specific program. And notably, this is something that Democrats have already rejected, but that is also not their only issue. While a state program that gives people 70% of the wages they made before they were unemployed would, in many cases, come out to more than $200 a week, this bill would also cap those payments at $500. And very notably here, according to an economist in the Treasury Department under the Obama administration who spoke to the Washington Post. That means that workers in some states with low unemployment benefits who earn just $50,000 a year would hit that cap and not get the full 70% of their previous income. So in other words, no matter which way you cut it, the Senate GOP's proposal would be a massive cut to the unemployment benefits that nearly 30 million people, or nearly one out of every five American workers are currently receiving. Right, so with how big that point is, we can expect that to be a 
big, if not the biggest sticking point with the Democrats. With House Speaker Nancy Pelosi also saying that she'll make that $600 the Dems want her starting point in negotiations. But of course, there are also other major issues and sticking points between the two parties over what's in this Senate proposal and even more significantly, what is not. Right, and regarding that, you have Republicans saying explicitly that they will not give any new money to state and local governments. And while their plan will give those governments more flexibility in using the 150 billion in funding approved under the last stimulus package, it still differs a ton from the Democrats who have continually pushed for more funding. With House Dems approving $1 trillion, which is the amount of the entire Republican proposal just for state and local governments in their coronavirus relief package. Also, another incredibly notable thing not in the Republicans' bill is a plan for an extension on the ban on evictions. That ban, known as the eviction moratorium, was signed into law under the first coronavirus relief bill, making it illegal for landlords who own buildings and homes with federal mortgages to evict renters. That ban also incredibly significant because it applied to nearly a third of all American renters. Also incredibly significantly, that moratorium expired at midnight on Friday. And while we've seen some states and cities having put their own eviction bans in place with the eviction ban ending, millions of renters will now be forced to pay months of delayed rent or risk losing their homes during a pandemic and at a time where people are already struggling financially, which will also likely be an issue for Democrats who have proposed separate legislation not only to expand the moratorium beyond the federal level, but also extending it until next March. Also, there are some things in the Republican proposal that were either not in the House stimulus bill or that Senate Democrats have already spoken out against. Things in the Senate's plan, like a five-year liability shield, this to protect businesses, schools, nonprofits, medical facilities, and other organizations from being sued by their employees if they contracted coronavirus on the job. And that is something that Mitch McConnell has said multiple times that he will not pass a coronavirus relief bill without. But on the other side of this, you have Dems arguing that it would allow businesses to mistreat their workers and put them in dangerous positions. Also saying that it prioritizes corporate interests and not those who need it most. And that's also a point they will likely push given the fact that hazard pay for essential workers was also left out of the Republican bill. But aside from those incredibly notable and divisive issues, there are also things that Republicans and Democrats agree on, at least in principle. For example, uh, both have said they want another round of $1,200 stimulus checks. Under the Republican plan, the checks would go out following the same formula as before, meaning the, the same people who got it the first time should get it again. Notably though, it has more restrictions so the checks don't end up going out to people like prisoners or dead people. I mean, we saw that happen in part because of a lack of guidelines there. It also changes the eligibility of the extra $500 per child dependent so that families with dependents over 17 years old can get that money, which as we discussed before, was an issue with the last stimulus bill because it capped the extra payment for kids 16 and under. I see it all these families that had kids that were college age or even just in high school not getting the benefit. And the Dem plan here is basically the same, except that under the package passed by the House, dependents would also receive $1,200. We've also seen bipartisan support for another round of support for small businesses through the PPP, Paycheck Protection Program. Under the Republican plan, there would be another wave of PPP that better targets small businesses after that, you know, the, the Shake Shack scandal, which is something that Dems also seem on board with as well. Both sides seeming to agree that there needs to be an expansion of funding for schools and health, though each have proposed different amounts. Regarding schools, the GOP plan includes $105 billion for K-12 and higher education. While the House bill allocated a similar amount at around $100 billion, Democrats now say they want $430 billion for schools. And regarding healthcare, Republicans have proposed $16 billion for expanding testing and contact tracing and $26 billion for vaccine development and distribution. But here, uh, I will say it is unclear how much Dems want, especially because the House bill allocated $75 billion for the same areas. And as far as what actually happens from here, I mean, it's it's gonna be a fight. You had Mitch McConnell yesterday calling on Democrats to quote, put aside partisan stonewalling and quote, rediscover the sense of urgency that got the CARES Act across the finish line. But on the other side, you have Democrats slamming Republicans for waiting so long to give them a bill that they knew that they would have objections to. With people like Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer criticizing the bill, calling it a half-hearted, half-baked legislative proposal and too little, too late. Also saying the lack of any urgency, understanding, and empathy for people who need help from Senate Republicans has led us to a very precarious moment. With them also specifically hitting on the unemployment proposal saying, the Republican proposal on unemployment benefits, simply put, is unworkable. The idea that we need to drastically 
reduce these benefits because workers will stay home otherwise is greatly exaggerated. With Nancy Pelosi also making similar remarks after a meeting she had yesterday with top White House officials, both also saying there is still a big gap between Democrats and Republicans. And once again, this is all on top of the internal division among Senate Republicans because there are a number of GOP senators that do not want another coronavirus relief package at all, or at least one that is this big. With some major Republicans already saying that they will vote against the bill, including the likes of Ted Cruz, who said yesterday, there is significant resistance to yet another trillion dollars. And adding, as it stands now, I think it's likely that you'll see a number of Republicans in opposition to this bill and expressing serious concerns. Lindsey Graham also making a similar prediction on Sunday, saying half the Republicans are going to vote no to any phase four package. That's just a fact. And so there is potentially a very long road ahead. And not only because, you know, the, the time crunch that exists, but also to make matters more complicated, the HEALS Act is not a comprehensive single bill. It's actually a series of bills separately drafted and proposed by different Senate committees. And as Forbes explains, the lack of a single cohesive plan makes the process of negotiating and passing the proposals more time consuming. But yeah, that is generally where we are with things. Hopefully it made this just chaotic situation a little more understandable. Hopefully we'll see people from both sides that are willing to negotiate and come to an agreement actually do that. And in the meantime, we kind of just have to wait and see what happens next while the lives of tens of millions of Americans hang in the balance. And that is where I'm going to end today's show. As always, thank you for being a part of these daily dives into the news. Also supporting with likes and shares. If you're new here, hit that subscribe button. It's free. Also again, a big thank you to RobinHoodPhil.com for supporting today's show. Definitely check them out. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow. I hope you liked the video. Subscribe if you like it.